Tov, um, we are a good deal behind. Today's daf should be Yutet, but we pick up in the middle of Yerchad Amaralev by the two dots. Um, three lines into the wider lines. Kara al Lo Yatsas. If you read the Megillah orally, meaning without reading it from a scroll, you do not fulfill your obligation. And the Gemara says, Minalam, where do you know this from? Amarava, Akya Zechira Zechira. It's the link of the word Zachor Zachor. Ksiv Hacha, Vayamimele Niz Karim. These days are remembered. And that's how we have known, we have been interpreting that to be about reading the Megillah. Ksiv Hasam, Ksovzo Zikaron Basefer, by Amalek. And of course, there's an obvious connection here to the whole Amalek and Haman. And, uh, you know, this is sort of the culmination of that. And that's written in a book. Malahalam Basefer, Afkan Basefer. There it's a book, here it's a book. So, Munai, Dahai Zechira Kriyahi. How do you know Zechira means to, uh, to, like, to, to read, to recite? Dilma Iyun Ba'alma, maybe it means read a book, right, right? So it's Nizkarim, so you read the book, and you remember? I must say it was so, to read it by heart, to remember it. All right, good. So the says, Lo Sakadaitis. That doesn't make sense. Shatayim Sadabraisa, Zachor, remember. So this is by Amalek. Yachol believe. Maybe just, you know, remember in your heart, in your mind. Don't forget. So that's referring to that it shouldn't be forgot, like forgetting of the heart. Meaning, so it shouldn't, you know, so you actually mentally do remember. It's not forgotten. It's remembered. So, so what's the power of the positive mitzvah of Zachor to actively remember? What does it mean to actively remember? Orally. So that's the mitzvah of Amalek. And here too, the mitzvah by, again, the link of Amalek to the Megillah, the Zachor, is not just to keep it in mind, it's to do an act of remembrance, which is, once we have this idea of Vasefer, we have the idea that it's an act of reading. And as I mentioned, you know, and uh, Yosef Yerushalmi talks about this a good deal in his book, aptly named Zachor, uh, <laughs> which is about, you know, the whole Jewish concept, first of all, of memory as opposed to history. Um, right? History is a fact that happened. We really haven't had Jewish historians until, like, you know, whatever, last 150 years or so, but we've been excellent at memory, which is creating a, you know, cultural um, um, and, uh, you know, communal way of, 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 of remembering certain things and of shaping history and shaping our memory through, and this is the second point as opposed to memory versus history, um, through uh, ritual acts. And ritual act, you know, from uh, all of the regalim, particularly particularly Pesach and the Haggadah, and all of these things, all of the mitzvahs, Laman Tzikros Yom Tzeis Chameres Mitzrayim, right? All of these things are about creating memory um, and uh, memory creating through uh, through ritual acts. Uh, so that's obviously a major part of us as a Jewish people that you know the memory of these events, but the creation of the memory of those events through 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 ritual. Okay, so that. That's about how you know you're supposed to read and read from a book. So now the Gemara continues. Um, if you read it in translation, Aramaic translation, you're not Yotze. So the Gemara says, Hey, Chidami, what's with the case? If it's written in Hebrew and you're just, and you're rather than reading the Hebrew, you're reading a translation. You're, you know, the book in front of you is in Hebrew, the scroll, but you're translating it. So it's an or so it's not from a book. It's oral. 
you need it for the case it's written in translation so you have a scroll written in translation reading it from that scroll would not be good so um, now so that seems to say that the only acceptable thing is a scroll in Hebrew but then you get this next line because you, you know you have to start with the scroll because you have to read it from a scroll so and by the way then it's not so clear is the problem of reading from something non-Hebrew that the reading has to be in Hebrew or that the scroll has to be in Hebrew right once we require a scroll so the insistence of Hebrew could be understood as an insistence in the act of reading or you know that somehow or it could be insistence in what does not doesn't qualify as a legitimate scroll in a different language um, but so let's take a look at how that gets played out in terms of this next issue of reading it for foreigners in a foreign language you can read it for foreigners in a foreign language so the Gemara says you just got through saying that if you read it in another language you're not Yotze so the Gemara says so they want to situate the problem in the nature of the scroll and you'll remember that when we had a discussion earlier about that like you know that and so on there's one opinion except for like Tfilin and Mezuzah and then the Gemara also threw, threw in Megillah a very precise exact way there's only one option of writing it but there's also an idea that Greek was a special exception right so the position that you, can, you can't write Sefer Torah in anything other language except for Greek so Rav and Shmuel are trying to solve the problem that way and say the problem of reading the Megillah in another language is the problem that the scroll isn't, isn't valid so therefore if you have a scroll in Greek that might be the one exception that it, another language is valid then you could read it in Greek that would be the one allowance because then you would have a valid scroll so the Mar says well okay so we're not there yet they're focusing on the scroll so it says Belav Yevani Hey what's the case? So the Gemara, I sort of, you know, jumped ahead to the end. The Gemara is first figuring this out. If it's written in Assyriac, if it's written in, you know, Hebrew script, and you read, and you, and, you know, and you read it Greek, so Hainu al so you're just translating it. So, No, it's written in Greek script. Okay, good. Let's say it's like transliterated. Okay, we're not up to that yet. Okay? We're assuming, so far we're assuming the exact parallel of the script and the language. Okay, okay. Now, before we get back to figuring this out, since it's Rav Acham Rav we're going to take a total digression and have a list of some statements he made. Rav Acham Rav yes. Yes. Are they trying to piece together a tradition, a past tradition? Is one trying to say, well, this is my case and, and here are the particulars of it? Uh, what, what is this? What do you mean? Just in general, the structure of when they try to say, well, the case of the mission is talking about X and then they sort of work it through. Do they really think that was the original meaning or are they just on themselves creating a meaning that then will fit the, fit the existing text? Is that your question? That's a better question than my question. What was your question? So what's the answer to that question? <laughs> it depends, case by case. What was your question? <laughs> okay, fine. Anyways, it says like this. Uh, but, uh, here it seems like they really have to feel what the original meaning of a text was because it wasn't two random texts that are contradicting. The very same mission that says you don't read in translation says you can read to foreigners in a foreign language. So you would think that they are not just saying I can make a way to reconcile. You think that, there to, that there's a real meaning that has to be un, you know, uncovered here. But let's take a look as the Gemara continues. 
uncovered. What does that mean, uncovered? That I know the tradition. Uh, oh, if, oh, that's because no, I don't think it's very rare. Not very rare. Whatever. It's rare that somebody's saying I know this from Misora. I mean, that's Rambam's general point about Torah is that it's not like we have all these traditions. You know, the traditions are small. It's like we're 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 uh, working it out. We're figuring out what it must have been. So, uh, that, if that's your question, then the general answer is is that they're trying to figure out what it meant, not that they're saying this is my tradition, what it meant. Um, but you know, it, it, it also is. Case by case, there. All right. So the Gemara says like this: How do we know that God called Jacob God? Which is pretty shocking. So this is about Yaakov making a mizbeach, and it says, and he called it for him God, the God of Israel. So how do you read that? What Yaakov called the mizbeach God? That would be funny too. So the Esau kadaitich lemizbeach correlate Yaakov El. If Yaakov is calling the altar El, which is itself very funny. But you call Yaakov me by a So then Yaakov calls it El. So Ella, as well though Yaakov was the subject of the previous verse. Ella, Vayikralo Yaakov. So the verse, previous verse mentioned Yaakov. Then it's Vayikra. God called God called him, called him Yaakov El. Umi Karo El. Who called Yaakov El? Elohei Yisrael. So Elohei Yisrael at the end of the verse is the subject. And Elohei Yisrael, Yikralo Yaakov El. Okay, now... Uh, all right, anyway, look, this raises huge questions, you know, I mean, but again, obviously, you know, you know, I mean, you know, we say it in various places, like in the liturgy, you know, and you, I'm trying to remember the verse, but anyway, you know, and you've called us by your name, what's, the, what's that thing we say in the davening? Um, uh, anyway, it's escaping. Yeah, thank you. The Shemenu Karata Bishmecha, and so on. Now, you could say Yisrael, right? And El is part of Yaakov's name by Yisrael. But, you know, this whole idea of, God, of, the, of you know, hey, look, in Kabbalistic literature, you know, um, um, the tenth, you know, Knesset Yisrael is the tenth sphere of Malchus, you know, it's sort of God's physical manifest. Anyway, whatever. So there's a lot here theologically. Um, you know, Yaakov is the face on the Kisei Hakavod. Okay, so there's a lot here, but we're going to have to bracket all that in Nufan. Okay, back to the Gemara. Mesve says the Gemara. So now we've got that the, that the Mishnah means that you have a scroll written in Greek, and you can read it in Greek, and that's the one accepted, which is a very narrow, um, you know, interpretation, forced interpretation into the Mishnah. Let's go back to the Gemara. Mesve, or we are in the Gemara. Let's go back to our point. Kara giftis ivris ilnis madais yivanis lo yatsa. If you read in any of these languages, um, interesting, it also mentions ivris, which is, seems to be, you know, uh, Rashi says, Lushan Ever Hanar, but, you know, it also could just, it, that also might get to the impact of ancient Hebrew script. So any of these scripts or any of these languages, you are not Yotze. So the Gemara says, so, so you see it says you're not Yotze with Greek. So how could Robin Shmuel say you're Yotze with Greek? So the Gemara says, Halo Damya El No, the case that it's good is like the following, Brysa. Gift is the gift him. Ivris the Ivrim, so there it suggests that Ivris is not just a different script but a different language. Ilmis the Ilmin, Yavanis the Yavanim Yatsa. So you can read different languages for the people of that language, which is, hello, our Mishnah, Liloazis Palaz. So then, so now it seems that our whole answer is, okay, generally you're not Yotse if it's in translation, the scroll, but it works if you're from that country. So, if the real exception hinges, which is again so funny, it took them so long to figure this out. If the real exception hinges on the people of that, good for the people of that language, um, then why did they have to make our Mishnah case of Greek? So, say any any language, and it's good for people of that country. So, you're right. 
Robin Shmuel got it wrong. Our mission is like the Brita. The Loazis Balaz means, you know, um, you, for the people of that language, of that nationality, you can read it in their language. Again, it's so bizarre why it took the Gemara so long to figure that out. What else does Loazis Balaz mean, right? So, anyway, unless Loazis is too generic of a statement, a foreigner in a foreign language, so maybe it doesn't mean specifically that country, that country's language. Although, again, it seems like it's pretty much shy. Anyway, what? What's the target of your Okay, hold on. I'll get back to the Alma Itmar. So, you're right, forget Robin Shmuel. Shout of the mission is like the Bryce. You can read it for a foreigner in the foreigner's language. So, when is Robin Shmuel's point about Greek? A different case, like a general case. Robin Shmuel Itmar. Robin Shmuel Dami Tobai, because Robin Shmuel both say, Lav Yavani Lachol Kasher that you can write scrolls, getting back to the scrolls, in Greek. Greek is an acceptable language for writing scrolls, and like we had before a discussion of a Torah scroll. So Gemara says, I'm sorry, I misread that. I'm again jumping to the end. You can read in Greek for anybody. You don't, not only for, for, for people from Greece, you can, read, you can read a Greek Megillah for any person. So Gemara says, Haktani Yivanis Yivanim. What do you mean? The Brita said, you can only read in Greek for Greeks. So Gemara says, in. Only for Greeks, not for other people. So, Inu, they say, that you can only write Torah scrolls in Greek. So, they felt that Greek was an alternative to Hebrew. So, the same way you can read to anyone in Hebrew, they felt you could read to anyone in Greek. So, you're right. Shad in our Mishnah is, if the foreign language can only be read for that country, for those foreigners. Okay? However, if you want Greek, the same way Hebrew, you can read anybody, even if you don't really understand Hebrew, can be Yotze by listening to Hebrew. Anybody can also be Yotze by listening to Greek. And that's Faisal Nakshim Gamliel that says Greek by a Torah is an alternative, it's the one thing that serves as an alternative to Hebrew. And the same would be by the Megillah. So if Leim Rahalach Kareb Shem Gamliel, so just say we pass on like Rav Shem Gamliel. So no, Yami Rahalach Kareb Shem Gamliel, Havi Amina, I would have said, Hani Mili Shars for it. That's by other things like a Sefer Torah. Avo Megillah, the Chsiv Bechichtavah, by Megillah says, as the way it's written, and as we know, the Gemara says before that even if Sefer Torah can be written in multiple languages, Mezuzah Tzfilin and Megillah have to only be written in Hebrew, and Megillah based on Kichtavan, Aim alone, maybe Greek isn't good, Kamash Malan, that it is. Okay, so where are we? Where to, the point here of Rav and Shmuel, which is, again, this is this bizarre issue of the status of Greek, which I'm not going to revisit because it was done a while ago, but they basically say the same way you're Yosei Megillah, anybody can be Yosei Megillah in Hebrew, even if you don't understand the language, you're just listening, that's enough, and we'll get to discuss that in a minute, anybody can be Yosei hearing a Megillah in Greek, because Greek serves as some type of rough alternative to Hebrew like we see of an earlier position of Rav Shimon ben Gamliel. Okay, now again, that might have been about the, I just want to sort of make us think, that might have been about the nature of the legitimacy of the scroll. The scroll is kosher in another language. Here it's also the act of reading in a language you don't understand. The same way that's good in Hebrew, Rav Shimon says, is it's good in Greek. You don't really talk in that way, but anyway, that's the Greek point. The more relevant point for our mission, understanding it, is, is that if a scroll written in a foreign language isn't good for a normal person, but for somebody that is of that uh, nationality or from that, you know, uh, from that, uh, you know, is a, a natural speaker, a, a native speaker of that language, it is good, which is saying two things. Number one, the scroll constitutes a sufficient uh, kosher Megillah scroll, at least from the perspective of the mitzvah object. A Megillah scroll written in another language is a kosher mitzvah 
is a kosher scroll, and that the act of reading in a foreign language is also the act of the mitzvah. But all of that in the condition that this person is actually of that language. Now, it's a little bit bizarre. You know, where do you normally have this idea that, you know, well, this is done this way, is puzzle, unless this is like your nationality or whatever, and then it's kosher. I mean, sometimes you get, um, you know, well, as a lefty, sometimes you get, you have to use this hand unless you're a lefty, use that hand. I'm not sure it's exactly the same. Uh, sometimes by Birchat Kohanim, you get this idea that if you pronounce the words wrong, I mean, if you, you know, if you, if, if you have, let's say, a way of uh, pronouncing certain vowels or whatever, you wouldn't be able to say Birchat Kohanim unless you're in a country where everybody pronounces, you know, their letters and their vowels that way. But again, that's a little different than this, which is really saying the entire scroll is different, the entire act of reading is different. You know, to some degree, though, it does reflect the uh, embracing of diversity, if you want to frame it that way, of the Megillah, of the idea of those that read on the 14th, those that read on the 15th, those that read on the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, a variation of practice, and you have the idea, which it does also seem to be reflect- reflecting. On the one hand, we say, Kichzavah means it has to be written exactly the way it is in Hebrew. Of course, in the Megillah, what is, what's the context of Kichzavah? For everybody. For all the Kichzavah, it's exactly the gift is the gift, the Everybody gets the letter in their language and in their, you know, in their script and in their language. So here we are really, it's funny that uh, until now, Tzichzavan has been used to limit and say Hebrew, the way the Megillah that we're reading from, I guess, is written. But really what it means is to embrace a wide degree, a wide range of languages. Okay? So, but that's being sent to various people of various countries get it tailored in their script and their language and that's being reflected here. If this is your language, then you can have the Megillah written. Yes, Megillah it for somebody that yeah, it, I mean uh, you yeah, write it like right. for Torah, but then you're writing, you know, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we really, yeah, you would. It'd be funny to actually hire yeah, a scribe to write up the gill of the, the, the cloth or whatever, but you could, yes, you could. So the Gemara says like this. Now the question becomes for the middle range of people about people that are native speakers of a particular language but also understand Hebrew but don't understand it as well as they, you know, as they understand their native language. Can they still be Yotze with it written in their native language or is that only for people that really don't understand Hebrew? You know, where exactly is the, is, is the tipping point? But if somebody is, is, is fluent, uh, you know, fully understands the Hebrew, then uh, from again, I'd have to double check. But from remember, you are not Yose in the native language. The English is for people that do not really understand. So or it's yeah, but the other when this is not a you know I'm not sure if, yeah I mean I'm not sure if I'd frame it the other but it's only this idea that we tailor it for particular people is when the, the Hebrew is not accessible. Yes. Um, Missing from this is any discussion of the tradition of having a Torgamon to it. Um, yeah, but a Torgamon is after the reading in the Hebrew. So you could, you know, so when they read the Sefer Torah, they read it from the original and then they had the Torgamon, right? So, um, by the way, Michael, and that might be the, getting back to your question about the Torgamon, right? Why does it say you can't read it in translation? It's because normally the Targum, because why not? Everybody was speaking Aramaic. That's the reason they have things, but, you know, in Torgamon, because the, na- the, the, the native language of the Jews in Babylon and even the Jews in Eretz Israel was Aramaic, right? That was the vernacular. But this might exactly be the scenario where, okay, they sort of understood the Hebrew, you know, and once you somewhat understand the, the Hebrew, then you don't have this option of reading it in the other language. Okay, so now the Gemara says... What? If yes. Even, born, even if you have no idea what it means, exactly. you're going to say so That's going to be the next statement. Can we draw the next conclusion that it's more important to understand the story of Esther than the... 
Because you can hear it in another language, even though you would be Yosei hearing in Hebrew, but it doesn't tell us which is preferable. This, by the way, is a big question about davening. You're Yosei davening in another language. So let's say you, um, let's say you, um, underst- uh, you know, you understand another language better. Is it better to read it in Hebrew and not really understand what you're saying? Or is it better to say it in another language and understand what you're saying? So it's an interesting machlokas in the postkim about that, right? Which gets in a little bit of a question, gets a little bit into the question about ritual versus like, you know, the substance of the intent around the davening. Is it better to really, you know, connect to the words or is it better to follow the same ritual that everybody is following? So anyway, so this is a, would be, you know, a similar point, right? So well, let's take a look. It's not clear which is preferable, to hear it in the, in the Hebrew and not know or to hear it in your native language. But once you don't understand the Hebrew, you're allowed to, if you haven't read it in the native language. Yes? The more if you're interested at all in like an official translation or the quality of the translation, Right. As opposed to if it's in Hebrew, of course, you have yeah, like, Exactly. And that's going to be a question also, right? I mean, but that's a question in general. When we say you're Yosei Shema in other languages and so on, well, how do you know you're translating it precisely? You know? So apparently the Gemara felt you do the best you can. Um, again, maybe that's another reason to prefer the Greek, because then we have the official Septuagint translation. <laughs> I'm serious, you know? There's a real accepted translation about it. Okay. So the Gemara says, Kara Shur, That's the next line, right? So if you're a foreigner and you hear it in the Hebrew, even if you don't know what the language which means you're Yotze. Which is preferable, again, is not clear. Actually, the Pshat language of the Mishnah is that the foreign language is preferable. Right? Korim lo azis belaz sounds like that's the lechatchila. Falo is shashama shuris yotza sounds like that's the bidiyevet. But if you heard it in the Hebrew, you're Yotze. So it actually sounds like it's preferable to hear it in the native language. <laughs> what? It's not clear, but that's the, what it sounds like. So the Gemara says, the hollow yod of my comrie. How could you be Yotze in Hebrew? You have no idea what's being said. So, Midi Zahade, Anashim, not Anashim, Anashim. Just like it's by women, the Amearetz, and like, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the laity, the people of the, the Hoi Poloi. So, what? They don't, they don't understand the Hebrew, and they're Yotze. So, okay, but doesn't, but still doesn't explain why. So, one minute, Maskif la Ravino, Atu Anan, so Ravino sort of, it's funny he says Maskif because he's really coming, he's really Maskif on the question, not on the answer, and he's sort of responding rhetorically to the question. Ah, you're asking, how do we know? How do we know what it, how would they know what it means? What? You think we know what it means? Matu Anan, Achastar Benim, Bnei Aram, Achastar Benim, Bnei Aram, Achim, Miyadinan? Who knows what this phrase means? Achastar Benim, Bnei Ella, so we also don't know what it means. Mrs. Kriya Pirsume Nisa, there's a mitzvah to read it, and it leads to a, uh, 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 you know, a uh, publicizing, thank you, of the miracle. Haganami, Mrs. Kriya Pirsume Nisa, here too, you read it, it publicizes the miracle, even if you don't know what it means. Now, it's a little funny, the phrase Pirsume Nisa, because you, if you had just said Mrs. Kriya, Haganami, Mrs. Kriya, means you do the ritual act, even if you don't exactly know what the words mean. Pirsume Nisa, you would seem, think, means in order to get the Pirsume Nisa, you have to understand what's being said. And it's one thing if you don't understand a phrase in the context, we pretty much know what it means even though we don't know exactly what those words mean you know it's another thing not to understand the whole thing but he, what he seems to be saying is, is that the, somehow the public nature of that act and the general sense we all sort of know what the story is even if we don't know even if we don't even know the, what the words mean you know that's enough there does, it's not an idea of precise understanding it's not like let's say the question of you know let's add another Shema where it's about Kabbalah's old Malchus Shemayim see this is why I think he says Pershume Nisa like if I was talking about Shema, and I could say it means to accept the yoke of heaven. How could you accept the yoke of heaven if you're saying the words and have no idea what they mean? But if the idea is 
to make a big deal about the miracle, so the whole getting together and hearing it read and having at least, you know, just some general sense, you know, you could also say people will be talking about it, you know, it's the, the pursuing Nisa can say, yes, there's a larger point than just the act of reading, but that larger point doesn't have to mean specific understanding of exactly what the story is. Yes? Right. So that's in general question. It goes across by Hanukkah when we say that you have to light it when people are walking around the street still. And Rashi says that the people that are, I would be walking around, Rashi says, are, are non-Jews. So, but here, in general, we mean amongst the Jews. You know, if you take a look, Rashi says in Pirsuin Isa, about ten lines on the bottom, So there's, you know, people get together and they talk and they show what? Kind of like hearing in the translation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, but it is interesting, right, because the ritual act of the reading is not the per se understanding of the story. So, so you know, for Rashi, but, but it creates the experience of Pir Sume Nisa, especially when it's done with the keyboard. What? Any, uh, the public Right. Like they tried to kill us. What's the result? <laughs> there you go. I think that's a good comparison. So it's not about now. The question is, what would you say about Aloazis that heard it laws in private, not the keyboard? Right? It, it, it does the pursuing Nisa here have it to be that it's a public type of a of a thing? So would this also work even even be even even in private is not so clear. Okay, so let's take a look as the Gemara continues. If you read it um, with pauses, with breaks, you're Yotze. So now we have a, a Gemara that we've read before in Rosh Hashanah. The rabbinic students didn't know what the word Seirugin meant. So Shamula Amsa the Rebbe, they heard the uh, maid servant in Rebbe's house. She said to the rabbis that they would be coming in with like breaks, like you know, like, like you know, one group and then followed by another group, not all at the same time. Rebbe, um, they enter into Rebbe's house. How long is it going to be that you're going to be entering, you know, with chopped up breaks, breaks? So they understood. Oh, say Rugin. Now I understand what the Mishnah means. Another rabbis also didn't know. My chalug logot. What are chalug logot? Which is some type of a vegetable which uh, comes up in, in a number of Mishnayot. Shamuel Amsa de Rebbe. They heard the uh, maidservant in Rebbe's house. The Amalela who gavar. She said to a certain person. Parpachini, that he was sort of a scattering parpachini, which is some type of a vegetable. <laughs> Until how long are you going to be scattering your chalug log? So now they knew, oh, that's the chalug log in the Mishnah. I don't know, what does English say it is? Parsling. 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 Now we know. The rabbis didn't know, so that's phrases in the Mishnah. They also didn't know some Hebrew words. You will be misalselit, and it will lift you up. So Shamuel Amsa the Rabbi, they heard the maid servant in Rabbi's house. Davi Amela who gavra, he said to a certain man, Davi Mahapech Mazie, who was like you know uh, running his fingers through his hair. He was always like tussling his hair. Amrale, she said to him, How long are you going to be like uh, you know running? You know uh, what would be the good verb for that? Tuss, not tussling. Tuss, what, is it, what would you call it? When you, like, run your, like you play with your hair and you run your fingers through your hair? What? Tussling? Run your fingers through your hair. What? 
Delve into and turn over. Del- oh, delve into and turn over is the verse because they read the verse about Torah. Like you, what? Curling. Anyway, you you, you know you you, you you run you run your fingers through it. Anyway, you get into it. You delve, you delve into it, right? And then the Torah will lift you up. Now it's interesting, right? Why is it that the? the oh, by the way, notice the Amsa Debe Rebbe is consistently speaking, at least in the version of the story in Hebrew, right? It gets an Aramaic narrative, but then when it quotes her, it has her speak in Hebrew, and all these words are Hebrew, either Mishnah Hebrew or Biblical Hebrew. But there are rarer Hebrew words, and again, remember that the vernacular was Aramaic. So it could be though coming from Rebbe's house, you know, um, which uh, you know a higher uh, sort of uh, like a, you know a more cultured learning environment, um, academic and well, whatever learning environment could be that he was just familiar with, with uh, you know with more obscure Hebrew words. Um, that Hebrew was more of the uh, sort of spoken or scholarly language that was present in Rebbe's house. Oh, there you go. <laughs> they were in there as Israel. Okay, well, there you go. More seriously, um, is, this, is this to be juxtaposed to the prior statement disparaging Hashim? Oh, that's interesting. He said, me, he, said, he said, we just had some statement about women don't even know. And not only disparaging, disparaging women is not knowing the Hebrew. Oh, that's brilliant. Right, so we just got talking about women not knowing Hebrew, and now here, Amsa Debe Rebbe knows all the Hebrew. That's a very nice, excellent point. Okay, excellent. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, that was, that's, that's totally on target. Okay. Um, it, I mean, I was just thinking that it echoes the idea that we don't know what some phrases mean, like but I think the issue about here is the, the woman knows what these phrases mean, so it's like, great. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Um, okay. Um, they didn't know what it meant when it said, cast unto God your Yahav. So I'm the Rabbi Barbachana. So now we're leaving Rebbe's uh, maidservant, and then we're going to other cases where they didn't know what words meant. So Rabbi Barbachana said, Once I was going together with this Arab, the Kadzaiina Tuna, and I was carrying a burden. The Amrili, and he said to me, Take your burden and throw it onto my camel. And the word he used for burden was Yahavecha. So cast your burden onto God. Okay. The rabbis didn't know. My I will be metate it in the metate of the Shema. So that means I will sweep it out with the broom of destruction. So Shamuala Amsa the Bey Rebbe, now back to Rebbe's household, they heard the maids of Rebbe's household, the Havis Amal Chaverta, she said to her friend, Shkula Tatisa Vitate Besa, take your broom and sweep out your house. So clearly it meant the broom and to sweep. Back to the discussion of Gila. If you read it with breaks, your Yotze. Say Rusin, if you read it backwards, um, Lo Yatsa, you're not Yotze. Ravmona, or, you know, out of order. Ravmona, Amr, Mishum, Rebbe Yehuda, after say Rugin, even when it comes to say Rugin, if you took the amount of time it takes, if the pause you had was a big enough pause and break, that you could have read the whole Megillah, I could read a whole Megillah, right, in the pause, then, then you're not, then you have to go back to the beginning. Then you can't have a sense of continuity. So, Amr of Yosef, Halach to Ravmona, and Rav Yosef, we rule like that. If it's too big of a pause, you're, pause, you're not Yosef. Shamar Mishum, Rebbe Yehuda. Rabbi says to Rabbi Yosef, okay, how big of a pause are we talking about? Long enough to, finish, to, to read to the end from where you're up to, to the end, and that type of a pause would be a break. Or do we say, a pause big enough to read the whole Megillah from beginning to end. Now you have to say it means the whole Megillah from beginning to end. In a very important phrase in the Gemara, 
Otherwise, you would have given your statement to, um, to measurement. Now, not measurement is what we always do. We try to quantify. But to measurements, meaning to a range of measurements. You can't say this is the amount of a pause that's a break and then that size of the pause changes every single time because where you're up to determines the size of the pause. There has to be one fixed size or else, you know, you can't have a good type of a legal system with so much variation. So therefore, you can't, so therefore it has to be a fixed amount. Alright, so now the Gemara continues. Um, so again, we have a statement in the name of Rav that we rule like Rebbe Muna. Too big of a pause breaks it up. says we don't rule like him. So That's how they taught in Surah. Rav says we rule like it, and Shmuel says we don't. They say the following. Basically, we have Rav saying we rule like it, Shmuel saying we don't rule like it. Okay, but Shmuel Amar ain't like Muna. Now we get Rav Bibi Masni Ipsa. Rav Bibi reverses it. Rav Amar ain't like Rav Muna, but Shmuel Amar halach Rav Muna. Okay, so Rav says we don't rule like him, and uh, Shmuel says we do rule like him. Amar Rav Yosef Nikotar Rav Bibi Biyadcha. Take Rav Bibi's tradition in your hand that Rav says we reject it, and Shmuel says no, we rule that way. The Shmuel who the Chayish Lichida. We know in general Shmuel is concerned with. Das Yachid, like, you know, um, individual opinions to, to be safe and to be machmir like them. Not, because we talk in this in a completely different context. Shomeros Yom Shekidesh Achiv et Achotel. You have a you have somebody um, at Achotel. You have, okay, look at that, somebody even raised the whiteboard. Okay, so you basically have these three brothers, I don't know, it could be two, but whatever, like three. Okay, you've got these three brothers, and he's the oldest one. Okay, we'll call him Ruhuve. Okay, Shimon and Leah. Okay, then you've got these two sisters, Rachel and Leah. Okay, and um, Rachel was married to Rachel was married to Leah. Maybe died. Okay, so now you've got Rachel. <laughs> okay, so now you've got Rachel, and Rachel Leah wasn't married yet. Okay, so Rachel is Shomeris Yavam. It's that either Ruben or Shimon has to do either Yivam or Halitza. Okay, I hope you're excited about this because this is what's going to be spending <laughs> a lot of time within a few months. Anyway, now the general practice is is that Reuven here is the older brother is supposed to be the one that first gets to decide like is he going to do Yivam or Halitza or what. Okay, now but Shimon Shiri could also do Yivam except it's supposed to go to Reuven. While we're sort of waiting for Reuven to decide what he's going to do, Shimon comes along and he does Kiddushin to Leia. Okay? Got that scenario? Now, what's going to happen if Reuven does Yibum to Rachel? If Reuven does Yibum to Rachel, then, um, then he is married to... Wait a minute. Now, now I'm confused. Hold on one second. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me just reread Rachel again. One minute. Um...
Right. So the point is like this. So, uh, forget what he's going to do. The point is like this. Because Rachel, in theory, is also somebody that he, you know, he has an obligation of Yibum too. It, 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 it primarily is with Reuven. But the, it's possible for him to do Yibum with Rachel. And the idea that either of them might be able to do Yibum, right, is called Zika. Zika means like a connection. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that idea of Zika, that connection that they basically can have sex with her and then she'll become whoever one has sex with her the wife so there's like a pre, some type of a pre-existing continuation of the marriage that she had with Lady that creates this connection that can be actualized when they do Yibum so this idea of Zika is seen as like a quasi-kidushim like a quasi-marriage that can be actualized if they choose to do Yibum so the fact that he went ahead and, and, and did Kidushim with Leia is a bit of a problem because he did Kidushim with Leia when he had a Zika to Rachel Okay, and that's what the and, and, and it's like marrying two sisters. If he really were married to Rachel, right, he couldn't have done kedushin. But he does not really married to Rachel. He's got a zika, but it's a problematic. What makes it less problematic is that Reuven comes first. So since the real obligation devolves on Reuven, his zika might be a little immaterial because it's really his responsibility. So how do we look at this? That he's married to Leah, and he has a quad, he has a zika to Rachel, but he's really only second in line. Okay, was that complicated enough? So let's take a look. So the Gemara says like this: Shomeris Yam Shekidesh Achivet Achota. So the brother married the sister. Okay. So Mishum Rebuah Ben Betera Amru. In the name of Rebuah Ben Betera, they say Omim Lo Hamtain. You say to Shimon, wait before mar- doing Nisuin to Leah. Until Reuven does what he needs to do. Until he either does Yibam or Chalitza. If he does Yibam or Chalitza, then he will free you from your Zika. Once Reuven does whatever, whether it's Yibam or Chalitza, this whole relationship goes off. So don't consummate your marriage with Leah until you're freed from the Zika that you have to, until you're freed from the Zika because Reuven will do what he needs to do. More or less clear to people? Yes, somewhat? Okay, so that's the position. The other argument is, Shimon doesn't have to worry about it. It's all Ruvain's responsibility, and he, Shimon can go ahead and do what he wants to do. But Rabbi Huda ben Beseri here says, no, you wait till Ruv- Shimon is totally freed from the Zika, and then Ruvain goes ahead and acts as he acts, and, and, until Ruvain acts. Now, the relevance of this is, Amar Shmuel, halach Rabbi Huda ben Beseri, and Shmuel says we rule like Rabbi Huda ben Beseri. So it's quite bizarre. Like, this is one case we had to find where Shmuel says we rule like a Das Yachid, das yachid. and all the shots, ah, Shmuel is Choshe for Das Yachid. But anyway, the Gemara sees this as somehow indicative that sometimes there will be an opinion which we, everybody, there's a consensus we really don't rule like and Shmuel still wants to be concerned about it. And therefore here too, that, um, that the idea that Shmuel is the one that's concerned for the size of the break even though presumably the consensus is that a break is not a problem in the Megillah, no matter how big it is, but we have a version that, Sh- that Shmuel says, no, we have to be concerned. It makes sense that it's Shmuel that's concerned for making a break rather than Rav, because Shmuel tends to be concerned with Das Yachid. That's all very nice. Now, how do we paskin? Now that we know that Shmuel says that, does that mean we paskin like Shmuel, or does it mean paskin like Rav? So Tosa says, oh good, Shmuel is the one that's choshesh for the Das Yachid, but we know it's Beit and Rav and Shmuel, we rule like Rav. So we are not choshesh for it. So now we're back to the idea that it doesn't matter how big the break is, and your Yose even with a very large break. Yes? Even the stranger's opinion of Rabbi Yudah and the Terah isn't all that strange because he's still permits Kedushin, just doesn't permit Kedushin. Right, right. Well, the question is, he already did the Kedushin. What if he permitted it at the outset? Anyway, oh. I don't want to get into it. Okay. 
Anyway, there's the idea that a big break is a problem. Then there's a question, is it, who is Choshesh for it? And then how do we paskin? General assumption is that we paskin that it's not an issue. Let's say the, 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 the Megillah scroll, later we'll talk about what happens if you didn't read the whole scroll. But now we're talking about the actual scroll itself is missing some words or letters. At what stage does it stop being a kosher scroll? Okay, so, Sofer Osios Opsukim, the Sofer left off some letters or verses. So, and the reader read it like a translator would translate meaning he sort of filled in the blanks so he read it but it was, the, the words weren't in front of him he just filled in the blanks you fulfill your obligation so that's telling you two things it's telling you number one if a scroll is missing some words or, le- or letters or verses it could still be a kosher scroll how much we don't know and number two even though you have to read it from a scroll if you, if you read some parts not from the scroll, you can also be Yotze. Okay, which is, by the way, an important principle because here you are, you're listening to the Megillah, and you have to be Yotze Shomer Kohen, and you have to hear every word. And then, the Balkore, uh, you were distracted, your kid was talking to you or whatever, and you missed a few words. What do you do now? So that's why a lot of people want to come with their Megillah in front of them. So now I can go back and I can read those words from the Megillah. But guess what? You can even read those words not from the Megillah. The same way the Balkore can read a few words that aren't written down. So both the Megillah remains kosher and the reading is kosher. Not every word has to be written from the Megillah. If you miss the Pasuk and you miss some words, you can also just say them straight from your printed Megillah and you're also, it's also fine. Now what's the limit to that we're going to see? So let's take a look. Correct. Yes, and we're going to see what the, at what stage will the Megillah be psula. But certainly a few words, a few verses is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. also suggest that the, the text has an independent existence, whether it's written or not. Right. You mean because you can... Because you fill in the word... The right. It exists out right. there. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. But, but, but again, but, but mostly it has to be written from the yeah. script. I'm saying a few words, a few psukim, right? The basic point the Gemara says is it has to be mitoch hasefer. You have to read it from the Megillah scroll, but we allow some, not, not 100%. Parts of its own, you know, if it, it, 90%. We'll see what the percentage is, but it's not, right. But it's not that the whole thing it can exist independent. Basically, it's from the scroll. So let's take a look. So the Gemara says like this. Um, the Gemara says, uh, May say, I'll ask you on this. If the letters were like, uh, you know, smudged or broken, it's still the, uh, the, um, like the, uh, um, you know, the, the, the mark of them, meaning you can still sort of see the uh, shadow of them there, so they're still, it's still the right, the right shape. It's kosher. It's not as possible. So you see, even some letters are problems. It says, Lo kasha habakula habamiktsasa. So now the Gemara says, it's a difference of basically all or part. Now, again, presumably it means that if, as long as it's only, not, not all, but when we say rope, as long as it's only four, up to 49% of the Megillah could basically be missing words and missing letters. And it's still considered a kosher Megillah. Even only 51% of it is written. Now, there is also another question about maybe something that's considered a whole inyan, a whole section maybe can't be missing. Okay? But percentage-wise, it might be enough that you just have 51% of it there, and maybe whole, certain whole sections can't, can't be missing. And 
and then that's considered a good scroll and it's considered a good reading. Okay, so that actually is the halacha. Um, so the mirror continues. So if let's say the person who is reading it skips a pasuk, I'm just going to continue reading and then at the end I'll go back and read, read the pasuk I skipped. That would be an example of reading it backward. You have to go back to that verse and read from that first point on. Which can easily happen. You come to Shul and you miss the first ten minutes and they're already on the second parak. So the obvious thing to say is I'll listen to the rest with the Tzibor and then I'll go back and I'll read the first parak. I missed the first parak. So no, I'm sorry, that's reading it out of order. You have to read it from the beginning to the end. Okay? I'll just take out just one second just to read you this halach because I know this sounds bizarre about this issue about the um, about how much of the Megillah doesn't have to be present just so you actually hear because again not only is it very relevant in terms of the issue like I just told you that like if you miss a Pasuk you can read it you can read it uh, by yourself but also just because yeah I mean you know a lot of people have Megillahs that are actually not totally you know that, that have some you know missing letters or whatever so hold on one second let me just find it here uh, yeah, just happened. Okay, here's the halacha. But Sarach should take Suva Kula with fun of Lichatchila, it all has to be in the scroll. Ava Bidiyevet, in Hishni that's over Beemtsa, Teva, Afilu Ad Chetia, Zakarma Kore Alpe Yatsa. So even up to, maybe up to and not including 50% of it is missing, your Yotze. Haggad, or Ramah says, Aval Nishni Tchilata, if the very beginning is missing, oh, so far, the very end, Afilu Miyota, even a little Lo Yatsa. Even in the middle, it can't be a whole section that's missing, etc. So now 50, you'd have 51%, but it doesn't also just, that also each sort of section has to be represented, there has to be a rep, you know, each section has to be represented. But even so, okay, to say that that still is a kosher Megillah and that's still a kosher Kriya is significant, and it's significant if you missed 20 psukim and it's not a whole section and it's not the very beginning, if you can read very fast, you can say it on your own and catch up. Okay. Saying the whole thing. Saying the whole thing. Right. You're not, right. Exactly. Mis If you're dozing off, you're yotze. But if you're slumbering, you're not yotze. So I, I assume that's more relevant. I mean, I want to say that the mission says if you're reading it while you're sort of falling asleep, if you're hearing it while you're misnam name, I think it's pretty clear that you would not have heard everything. Okay. But it's maybe if you're reading and. You know, again, I don't know how you do either of that. Some people, I think, can continue say, talking in their sleep, you know, but okay. What's the example? Asleep, not asleep. Awake, not awake. Somebody calls you, you'll respond. But you can't say anything of sense. But if they remind you, you'll remember. So you say, like, yeah, like, you know, where are the car keys? Like, oh, I don't know. Did you leave them here? No, no. Did you? Oh, yeah, yeah, whatever. So that's like that state, okay? So, all right. Hayakosva dosho magia in kivin libo yata. Now we get to the classic discussion of Kavana. There you are. You're copying over one scroll from the next. As you're copying it over, you're muttering the words. You're maybe not even aware you're muttering the words. If you have intent, 
And there's always a question, what intent? Intent to read or intent to be Yosei the Mitzvah? But minimally intent to read, then you're Yosei. But if you not even have that intent, you're not Yosei. So, hey, dummy, what's the scenario, says the Kabbalah? Either come the psuki psuka, the kasavla. So if you are basically, you know, ar- arranging each verse, writing down basically one verse at a time, who cares that you're having intent? Um, it's al-peh, because you're basically writing down a verse, so the verse that you've written down here, you know, before you wrote it, wasn't written. Like you said, and then you wrote, so when you said, you weren't reading from something written, Right? So you were so the words that you were saying were before the words were written. So the Gemara says, um Rabbi Chalbo says Rabbi Chalbo. Uh, woman, did I skip line? No, so here's what you did. First you wrote Vayihi, and after you wrote the word Vayihi, you said the word Vayihi. And then you wrote Bimei, and after you wrote the word Bimei, you said the word Bimei. So each word, after it was written, was being read. Okay, and therefore it's Mitocha One minute. A, you have to read all of it. It's not enough. We're going to have opinions later that maybe you can read from the middle. No, you have to read the whole thing. But then, and here's what's relevant for us, even if it's enough to read the Megillah starting at Ish Yehudi and not from Vahibi Mechash Verosh, it all has to be written. You might not have to read all of it, but to, to be a kosher Megillah, it all has to be written. Now, we discussed exactly a minute ago what does it mean to be full, to be written. But nevertheless, right, you can't just say, Vayihi, write the one word and read it. And then Bimei, and write that word and read it. Because then when you're reading, you're not reading Mitochaksav. You're reading from a written word, but you're not reading from a kosher Megillah. Right? So you got the scenario? You can't be writing and then reading the, the thing that's just the, the, the ink is still fresh on, because what you have in front of you is in a kosher Megillah. So therefore, you, and so even if you didn't have to read all of it, you have to read from a full Megillah. How much more so here? So the Gemara says, Ella, what's the scenario? It's you're copying over from an existing Megillah. So you're writing your Megillah, you have an existing Megillah here, you're writing your Megillah, you're looking here, and then you're writing, and then you look at the next puzzle and you write it. So when you're looking at the Megillah that's your source, you're reading from that Megillah, even though the new Megillah that you're writing is not yet fully written. Okay, so that's actually quite a reasonable scenario. So now the Gemara says like this. Um, <coughs> let me come support you. This, this understanding. Let's say that this understanding supports Rabbi Barbarchana. Because Rabbi Barbarchana says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that you can't even write one letter He's talking about a safe Torah. If you're writing a safe Torah, that you're not copying from an existing copy. Just one, you, you have to write everything by looking at an existing copy and copying it over. So therefore, if that's true by safe Torah, maybe it's true by Megillah, and that would explain why the scenario here could take for granted that you're reading from a pre-existing Megillah, because that's how you have to write it over. So the Gemara says, no. Zimar said, wait a minute. Um, no, maybe halachically you can write it not from a Megillah, but it happens to be the case we're talking about is you're copying from a Megillah. It doesn't prove you need to copy from an existing Megillah. That might just be the case. Okay, so let's look at that. 
Gufa. I'm a rabbi Baruch Hanan Rabbi Yochanan. Also, the Chavos Achas Shalom in You can't by a Sefer Torah write even one letter that you're not copying over from an existing copy. Okay, you understand the purpose of this, right? Obviously, if you want to work, now it's not even if you're copying from an existing copy. Copyists make mistakes all the time, but at least to limit the mistakes, you want to insist on every single letter, you know, the copying over and not doing even one thing not because that will just increase mistakes. They say, I'll ask you on this. I'm Rabbi Shimon Lezer. My name Rabbi Meir. There was a story with Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir was a sofer. Um, he went to Asia in order to make a leap year. Um, and they didn't have a Megillah there. The Kosvami Libo. And he wrote it by heart. He wrote it out by heart. He knew the whole Megillah by heart. The Kara'ah. And they read it. So you see, you can write it. At least the Megillah Shalomi Naksav. So Amr Rabbi Avo, so said Rabbi Avo, Shemim Rabbi Meir, the Mikim Benat Bey, the Afapecha Yashru Negdacha. By Rabbi Meir, the verse that says that your eyelids will be sort of straight in front of you basically means the whole thing was like written out before him. Like he knew it completely perfectly. Wow. So basically, this idea that you have to copy from a script is not a technical halacha, it's just to ensure accuracy. So at least this stage is what the Gemara is saying. So Rabbi Meir, who absolutely knew it, every single letter, he was allowed to do this. So I'm a Rabbi Barakam, Rabbi Yirmiya, Midifti, Maidafa Pechi Yashunek Decha. What does it mean? So this verse, like, you know, your eyelids, you know, it should be straight in front of you. So I'm a low, Eva Torah Dechsivahu. This is referring to the wisdom of Torah because it says, He's Ayafe Necha both, like, you flood your eye away from it, the Einenu. It disappears. And even though for most people, you know, you know that you know they forget the, at least with the precision of like you know to, to, you know Torah and words of Torah and the exact writing, like you know at least by Torah it's about the ideas. Here it's about every single letter. But even for Rabbi Meir, it's all very clear and laid out. He has it perfectly, so he was able to write Shalom Inaksav. Okay, so until now it's just a safeguard and it's not an absolute technical requirement. Rav Chizda asked Rav Chananel, so Rav Chizda found Rav Chananel, that because of Svarim Shalom in Eksav, he was writing over Svarim, presumably Sifre Torah, not, you know, not copying them over from an existing, uh, an existing Sefer. Um, Amalei, he said to him, Amalei, you know what? You, Rav Chananel, the whole Torah could be written on your mouth, right? And it's like, I'll pay. Like, you got it all. You know it all perfectly. In principle, I have no question that you know every single letter perfectly. Ella, but what are you going to do? Kachamu Chachamim, the sage just said, So he's saying, either A, we don't make exceptions, or B, it's not just a safeguard. It's actually a technical requirement that every letter has to be copied over. So the Gemara says, So you see it's a similar scenario to Rebbe Meir, that Rav Hananel had it exactly perfect. So the Gemara says, Vaha Rebbe Meir, but okay, but by Rebbe Meir we allowed it. So what's going on here? It says, No, by Rebbe Meir it said, nobody had a Megillah. So if there's, if there's a real Shasat Chak, we'll make an exception. So again, what we seem to be saying is, it's not a technical requirement. Technically, the Megillah would be kosher. It's a safeguard. But even for the safeguard, we won't make exceptions for people who know it perfectly. Because, you know, once you start making exceptions, everybody thinks they know it perfectly. So we're not going to make exceptions. But in the Shas HaTachach, where they wouldn't have had a Megillah to read, there they made an exception. Okay. Now, Abayi Abayi allowed the house of Barchavu. Let's just get to the end. 
to write tefillin and mezuzah shalomin ekzav. Now that, of all the things you would think, maybe has the most in terms of a technical requirement, right? Not just the safeguard, right? I mean, that's like the most of the ritual objects of scrolls. Um, so Kiman, who is that going like he high time, like the following time? At the time, Rabbi Yirmi Omer Mishum Rabenu tefillin mezuzos nechtavim shalomin ekzav. So maybe the exact opposite. We would have thought maybe this has the most technical requirements, and he says no. Dafka tefillin and mezuzos can be written, not from copying over from a script. The ain't shrichim sirter, then it does not need like the uh, scoring, right? Scoring out like the lines, you know, the uh, indented lines. Okay, and so the hilchas and the is tefillin ain't shrichim sirter, mezuzah shrichim sirter. Tefillin does not need the scoring. Mezuzah does. That's a separate discussion. And you can write to them as not by copying them without copying them over, just by memory. My time and Mikasina, why? Because everybody knows them. Now I would say everybody knows 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 it orally. It doesn't mean you know exactly which word has the extra yud or doesn't have the extra yud, you know, the exact uh, the exact spelling of every single word. So this is quite surprising, A, the assumption that they're so well known, but B the idea that even in what I would call the most ritual of the scrolls, you know, that uh, it's not it doesn't exist as a technical requirement. Uh, this idea of min haksav is only a safeguard against error and not actually a formal requirement that determines whether it's kosher or not. Those are never read. 